there, everyone. Welcome to the Teach Them Diligently podcast, where we focus on all the different elements that help a Christian homeschooling family thrive. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and today I'm joined by Scott LaPierre to discuss the importance and the incredible benefits of prioritizing a consistent family worship time. I think you'll be encouraged, and I know you'll learn a lot as we dive into this topic that you know I am incredibly passionate about, for I've been able to see how God has used a focus on His Word within our family to shape and mold all of us more into His image. Now that my kids are adults, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to prioritize time in God's Word with them while they're growing up. The Teach Them Diligently podcast is made possible in large part through the help of our partners. So when I mention them on the show, I hope you'll check out what they have to offer and let them know how you are grateful for their support. These are organizations that we work with who are like-minded and passionate in their mission to better equip families to serve the Lord well. Voice of the Martyrs is one such group and their resources are an incredible complement to your family worship time. Go to vom.org forward slash TTD to sign up today and you'll receive a free updated copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs and you'll start getting a magazine each month to help you and your family pray strategically for our brothers and sisters all around the world. Again, go to vom.org forward slash TTD to sign up for those resources today. And now I invite you to join Scott LaPierre and me as we discuss family worship. Welcome back, everybody. I am very excited to have joining us this week, Scott LaPierre. Now, Scott is a pastor and an author and a speaker and a husband and a dad, um, all from Washington State. And I think you're really going to enjoy what he has to say about family worship this week and how um, integral it is into the DNA of a thriving family. So, Scott, welcome to the Teach Them Diligently podcast. I am so glad that you're here with us. I'm glad to be here too, Leslie. Thank you very much for having me and giving me this opportunity to speak to your listeners. Well, you're very, very welcome. Before we dive in and really start talking about family worship, can you give us just a little bit of you know, kind of background of your story, who you are, and how you're coming at this from? Because I know that you've even written about this. So clearly, this topic is something that's been on your heart for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. So can you just give us a little bit of information about yourself first? So I wasn't raised in a Christian home, became a Christian in my early 20s when I was teaching elementary school, Uh, felt really passionate about teaching the Bible after I became a Christian and then and then segued into working part time with the church uh, and then full time. And I became very close when I was going to uh, my first church, a Christian church that with I was close to the family because my family uh, were, were not Christians at that time. And they homeschooled, and that was my introduction to homeschooling. And I, I just thought, wow, you know, I'd re- this is really what I want to do when I, if the Lord blesses me with a family. And so uh, we came to Washington in 2010, and we expect we'll probably spend our lives here. My wife had our ninth child in September. Uh, my oldest is 14, and we, it's not like we tried to have a lot of kids. Just wanted to have what God, you know, wanted to give us. Not a commentary on what anyone else does, but that was just our conviction. And so. Uh, I started publishing some books. I'm in the middle of a multi-book deal with Harvest House and um, 
cult headship or spiritual leadership in the home, family worship is, is really important to me because I see how crucial it is to, to the health of families, for families to be able to thrive. They have to gather around the word of God beyond just, uh, you know, Sunday morning and much that rests on the father's shoulders. And so I spent more time as a pastor trying to get families to worship together than I ever would have imagined doing. And so I'm thankful for this opportunity to have a little larger audience to share that topic with. Yeah, I um, even as you were talking, I was thinking for so many of the people that I've talked to, they first of all, they come from a very similar background as you. They didn't necessarily grow up in a Christian home or if they did, it wasn't a Christian home that was as focused as they feel like they need to be on shepherding the hearts of their children and really growing together as a family. Um, so when you talk about family worship for a lot of people, that's kind of an, a little bit of an overwhelming thought of an overwhelming concept. Like they don't even have an idea of where to start. So what, what really is family worship and how would you kind of break down what it is so that we, then as we talk about why it's important and how to do it, we have a, a little bit better idea of kind of where we're starting from. Yeah. You made, you made a lot of great points. I think even the word worship, uh, people hear that word and they don't really think much beyond singing some songs in church. They might not even think of the sermon. We begin the sermon in church, and I'll often tell people that, uh, okay, we're continuing our worship now as we listen to the sermon. If we have a potluck, I'll say, okay, we're going to the potluck, and we're going to fellowship with other people, and this is a continuation of our worship. And so family worship is really to, uh, to be a Christian or be a Christian family beyond just Sunday morning to gather around God's word. I think often we live these very compartmentalized lives where if we're a Christian family, then what that means is we go to church Sunday morning. But then the whole rest of the week, we're going to try to live morally that we, we might not be praying or reading the word as a family uh, until we come back to church on Sunday. And even then, we're kind of just sitting and we're consuming and corporate worship is very important. I, I, I'm really con convinced that healthy families, you know, thriving families are those families that gather around the word during the week. And I kind of and this might be a little overly simplistic, but I've I've found that if we can get families to gather around the word of God during the week many of the other problems that they've experienced turn out to be simply symptoms that can resolve themselves. And so sometimes we're kind of looking and it's like, well, you know, uh, we're having this problem with our children or in our marriage, and I'm kind of uh, tra encouraging them to worship as families. And they're kind of like, well, are, you know, did you hear me? Did you hear what I said? Where is happening with my children? I said, I, I did. I, I heard that. But when I asked you what your prayer time looks like, what your devotional time looks like, what your time around the word as a family looks like you you told me that it, it wasn't really happening and that's why i'm i'm convinced that what you think is a problem is actually a symptom christ not being supreme or not being central in your home and if christ will take his rightful place which which he does by families gathering around the word then i do believe that many of these issues can resolve themselves one of the things and, and i you know i so appreciate your and uh, david's ministry um i mean it's it's taken from deuteronomy 6 which is basically the premier uh, chapter dealing with family worship. If there's like one chapter about family worship, it is Deuteronomy 6, and you guys have based your, your ministry on that. And so what you, you really insightfully observed that for many people have uh, made family worship a little, it's become intimidating. I mean, let's yeah. just be honest. You, know, you go to teach them diligently, you go to church, you listen to a sermon on the radio, and you're, listen, you're listening to individuals who have the gift of teaching. Uh, not everyone has the gift of teaching, and that doesn't mean a man is better or worse if he does or doesn't have the gift of teaching. But because we hear these individuals who are who are so articulate and and have this gift, every man is assuming that he has to sound like that or he has to be like that, and so then that's intimidating. 
And even, even a man who might have um, the, the gift of teaching or know the word of God well, he doesn't have 20 or 30 hours per week to put a sermon together. So even if he is very articulate, he knows that he isn't going to be able to have a, a family Bible study that's going to sound like that guy on the radio. And so one of the first things we have to do we have to kind of get our expectations in check. And this is for the, for the father and the husband. And so one of the things you, you and David have probably done many times in your ministry as you've talked to people about homeschooling is you've had to bring down their, their elevated view of what's involved. And so I, I, was a, I was a public school teacher. I say this from ex experience. I'm not speaking from a position of ignorance that many people think way too highly of public school teachers and they think way too lowly of themselves, especially homeschooling mothers. All these homeschooling mothers uh, you know, or, the, or mothers that are entertaining homeschooling, they think they're not going to compare with that public school teacher who's a professional and, you know, and has been trained and, and, and they're never going to be able to do as good of a job as she does. And so because of that, they think that they can't do this. So they think too highly of, of the public school teacher and they think too lowly of themselves. And that's kind of the same with family worship. They're comparing themselves to these pastors on the radio or at conferences and think they have to sound like that. That's not the case at all. I've had men and they say, you know, I don't know if I can read the Bible with my family. And I say, if you can read, you can read the Bible with your family. Because really, family worship doesn't have to be a whole lot more than gathering your family around the Word of God, you know, reading a verse, talking about it, reading a verse, talking about it. Choose, if you want a real simple recommendation, I would say choose a book of the Bible, probably a one that the Father is, is familiar with. I, uh, Vodi Bauckham said one time, try to stay like one day ahead of your family. And what he meant was in your daily reading, if you can just have some familiarity. I mean, there's books, you know, that I have much more familiarity with and, and books that we'd be reading and I have to say, you know what, I got to go look this up or figure this out. So, so if you're just jumping into family worship, choose that book you're passionate about. I mean, and that's, I guess that's one other little piece of advice I'd give. Uh, enthusiasm is kind of contagious. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a father and you choose a book of the Bible that bores you, you cannot expect your children to be excited about that. So choose something that you're passionate about, that you enjoy talking about, that's always been kind of a favorite book for you, and then start to go through that. And there's really nothing wrong with starting at chapter one, verse one, and then, and then moving through that book. And so some people say, well, how many verses do you have to cover? I really dislike that question because I don't think there's anything wrong with covering one verse or half a verse. Or you, you start one verse, your child asks the question, and then that takes you to you know, a different verse. And then in your next family worship, you come back that Bible, I, I'll tell your listeners this, uh, I really never imagined, my, my children uh, have grown up in the church, uh, I'm a pastor, that never, so I, I thought, you know, they know the gospel well, I never imagined that I would be explaining the gospel to my children as often as I am, it, it, it's still the, the most frequent topic, for our family worship, regardless of the book of the Bible, and it's not necessarily because we're in a book of the Bible, that is dealing with the gospel, it's because my children have questions that relate to the gospel and that trumps generally whatever it is I, I want to talk about that day. You know, it's like, uh, I, don't, I mean, if we're, the other day we we're in Psalm 73 and we we're looking at Asaph and he says, you know, my feet had almost stumbled when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That doesn't have a whole lot to do with the gospel, but if my children bring up the gospel, well then sure enough, we're kind of outside Psalm 73 because nothing's more important than our children's um, salvation. So we, we look at a verse, uh, you know, we read it, ask the kids their thoughts. You kind of have to be comfortable with, with silence. You have to be comfortable with wrong answers. We don't expect our children to be theologians. Yep. Uh, I, out of nine children, 
my oldest ones can read, my youngest ones can't. And so I, I just, it's really not much more than going around the room. You read a verse, we talk about it, then you read, the next child reads, and we go around like that. I ask them their thoughts, they get to share. And one of the other things, if I can, you know, briefly address the wives, I, I put on these marriage conferences, but let me back up just for a moment. I published this marriage book about five years ago, and then God opened the door for me to put on these marriage conferences. I, and we project ourselves on others. So as a pastor, I'm, I have weaknesses, but I'm pretty comfortable you know, being in front of people sharing the word of God. Actually, I'm very passionate about it. I, I enjoy it. And so I assume that most other guys are comfortable sharing God's word. And I just want to tell all wives who are listening, you would not believe how terrified most men are associated, not just with sharing the word with their family, but praying with their family. Mm-hmm. Many men are afraid that they're not going to sound like that guy on the radio. They're afraid that they're not going to, you know, sound like the Bodie Bauckhams or Israel Wayne or Todd Wilson or, or, you know, their pastor at church. And so because of that, picture themselves starting a Bible study with their family and they say, you know, what if I don't know what to say? What if I don't know how to answer this question? What if, what if my child asks me something and it's deer in the headlights and I look silly? And so I just want to tell the wives what your husband really needs is he needs your encouragement. I mean, he needs your support. I, I, I would say it doesn't matter what book of the Bible you're in. It could be in Leviticus. I mean, it could be burnt offerings and you're excited about what your husband, you know, is talking about. Don't, you don't want him to um, feel like he's a failure. You mm-hmm. don't want him to feel like he's not doing a good job because if that's the case, then he's not going to want to gather his family together again for family worship. And so I would tell the wives, if your husband, I mean, you know, he might fumble every word or he doesn't know what these verses mean. But when that Bible study finishes, you look around at your children and you say, you guys should be still so thankful to have a father that will read the word of God with you. You know, you reach over and you grab his hand, you, you know, you put your hand on his leg and look him in the eyes and say, thank you for being a husband that will lead our family like this. And, and I don't care. And I mean, you say that if he just taught the most confusing, worst Bible study <laughs> you ever heard, because really the power it's in the word of God. And so it's the word of God going out and washing over our families that accomplishes that sanctifying and cleansing, cleansing work. It's not necessarily in the father's ability to articulate the scriptures. Right. Very and well. I want to piggyback on that just a little bit. Um, one thing, several people who are listening to this have probably read David's testimony. David didn't come to know the Lord until he was 24, um, almost 25. Um, it was actually not long before we started dating that he came to know the Lord. Whereas I grew up in a Christian home, you know, went to a Christian school, Christian, 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 everything. So I had, when we first got married, I had a whole lot more head knowledge than he did. And, um, you know, we got married and children started coming shortly thereafter in God's providence. So we were very young. He was a very young believer when we started out trying to get our kids together to do this sort of thing. And, and he, there is a, a confidence issue. And I've heard from so many women who have talked about the fact that my husband doesn't know as much as I, or he hasn't spent as much time in God's word as I do. But the, the beautiful outgrowth of this is by encouraging him to continue. And by, like you said, taking those questions, digging in, being, being okay with saying, I don't know, I have to go find, you're going to see God do a mighty work in your husband's life that will then trickle down. And it's, it's just awe-inspiring to see 
him grow, not only in his knowledge of God's word, but in his confidence in talking about it, that's going to overflow into every other area of your life. So um, just kind of reinforcing what Scott was saying there, I can't overstate the importance that that you hold, ma'am, that you are just really, truly able through your encouragement to, to help him grow in so many ways that you wouldn't have even thought of um, on your own. So you know, Leslie, I'll, I'll just be candid with your listeners. I have found that women are generally more spiritual. Just being honest with you, they generally have a, a greater spiritual hunger and thirst for the word of God and for church than men do. Mm-hmm. Um, so at times I've wondered why, why it seems to be that way. And I could be wrong about this. So I confess I'm, I'm speculating, but it seems maybe it's because God wanted it so that anytime a man was ready to lead, there would be a woman who would be very excited and, and enthusiastic about that. Because in all the marriage conferences I've done, I have, I've had women who have said, my husband won't go to church with me. My husband won't read the Bible with me. My husband won't pray with me. I have never had a man say, my wife won't go to church with me. My wife won't pray with me. My wife doesn't want to do family worship. Anytime a guy wants to do that, usually a woman who, who, is, who is thrilled, who couldn't be happier. Yeah. Um, and, and so backing on what you said, it's true that, that often people come into the marriage and the one the woman knows more. She's read the Bible more. She and if that's the case, woman she needs more careful because more than likely the husband knows that. And so it's not to say that a wife is never going to um, correct her husband, but she's got to do it very carefully. I would just say it simply that you got to make a lot more deposits than withdrawals. There was a family. I was coupling this council or I was counseling this couple and I really, I really wanted to see them read the Bible together. Cause again, I thought it was going to improve their marriage and they began reading the Bible together. Husband comes in a couple weeks later and he says, I'm, I'm never going to do it again. And I was just shocked because generally when families start reading the Bible together or couples do the marriage improves, not the opposite. And I said, I, he could, I'm sure he could read the shock on my face. And he said, yeah, you know, every single time we open the Bible together, my wife criticized everything I said. She questioned everything. She told me, I don't think that's right. I don't, you know, why don't you go ask Pastor Bill at church? And, and he said, it was just humiliating. And so I, that's me was a, a moment where I recognized just how important a wife's part is in this. And so Katie, to her credit, she regularly helps round up the kids. She tries to get them excited. And, and let's just be honest, you know, kids are not going to be super excited. Don't think that because my or pastor's kids that they're always excited about family by family worship or something along those lines. That's not the case. And so I appreciate Katie helping build some enthusiasm uh, associated with it. But yeah, wives definitely play a, a very large part. There was a, there was a, a woman one time and she had, uh, her husband finally had Bible study. He'd been terrified to do it. Her response when the Bible study, when the family worship finished was, wow, that first Bible study sure was long. I was just like, you know, and so of course that's not going to make your husband want to read the Bible with you again. Early in our early in our relationship, I knew Katie was a deeply spiritual woman, and I wanted to impress and um, impress her. And so I'll tell you this embarrassing story. So I put together this Bible study that I think is just really going to wow her. You know, and it's it's kind of detailing the connection between Second uh, Kings, Second Chronicles, and Isaiah. And it was long and just ultra confusing. And I kind of finished, and I just thought, man, you know, she's probably never going to want to you know, do Bible study again. And I hear her on the phone with her best friend later that day. And she says, you know, I'm just, I, she didn't know I could hear her, but I, she told her friend, I'm just so thankful to have a man that'll read the Bible with me. And that, that really encouraged me. Signing that first Bible study was a terrible one, 
but I, but that's pretty much the way, you know, Katie's been throughout our relationship, encouraging me, not, she's not a perfect wife, but encouraging me in those, in those, all those little things. So the husband has, the, the other thing you mentioned that I really appreciated, you said, husband doesn't have to have all the answers. Right. And that's the case. I mean, I'm, for the last, you know, 13 to 15 years of my life, mechanic has worked on cars. You know, if, if a farmer has worked with animals, I've worked with the word of God eight to 60 hours every single week for the last 13 years. And there's tons I don't know. Hmm. So if that's going to be the case for me, how much more is that the case for every man that's out there working hard for his family 40 hours a week and, and is trying to squeeze in his devotional time in the morning or in the evening when he can. And so a wife can't expect her husband to know everything. What it is reasonable that a husband will say, like you said, I don't know, and also follow that up with, but I'll try to come back with the answer. Yeah. Let me look into that. And so that's, that's why it's good when a wife does what you said and kind of leans on her. I mean, I mean the Bible says that however you want to interpret, you know, um, context, let's say a wife, ask your husband at home. And I, I, I at least think there's a principle there that a wife would ask her husband the questions about the Bible, and then he would have the responsibility to go and learn that and then bring it back to family and that can be exciting time of growth and and uh learning for him as well well and it's cool as your children get older that first of all that heart of humility that goes into saying i don't know the answer to this whether it be about things of the lord or culture or Paul, anything that you're discussing with your kids the ability to say i don't know let's go find out it's kind of core in what we do as home educators too we don't know it all but we want to find out but I found as my kids have gotten older that that I don't know, let's look it up, actually has made my children actually start digging for themselves, which is ultimately we what we want them to do. We want them to be students of God's word and we want them to start thinking biblically. And so that is that is just a very natural, transparent jumping off spot for them. You know, I don't have to know this, but God's word has the answer. Let's go find it. And then the conversations that follow up of, you know, I found this, I found this. Well, how does this play in? It's it's really enriching not only your relationship with your kids. And again, those those conversations get deeper as they get older, but also your relationship with God and your your appreciation for his word. All of these things grow as you are digging into his word to find answers to things you don't know. Yeah, well said. And that enthusiasm I have to dig into God's word when I have a sermon to prepare. I mean, sometimes you get up and you don't, you don't feel like reading the Bible. I mean, let's just be honest. Uh, God already knows that's how we feel at times. But when I have a sermon to prepare, it's like I have more, um, there's an urgency, there's an excitement, you know. Well, mention that. Listen, you can say, well, not all pastors. It's actually the point that a husband is a pastor. He's a pastor of his home. And he can develop the enthusiasm for digging into the word of God when he recognizes that just as I'm preaching to a church, it's not, it's not exactly the same, obviously, I'm putting you know, a lot more into my sermons, but a father is still preparing those mini sermons or teachings for his family. And so hopefully that gives him even more enthusiasm to dig into God's word and, and find jewels and treasures that he's excited to share with his family when they gather together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Scott, can you give us a little bit of insight as to what 
what does your typical typical family worship time look like? You know, you you noted you've got nine children, fourteen and, and under. Uh, there's you and Katie. So how does this actually play out? And have you seen it change through the years? Or, or I bet you have. How have you seen it change through the years? Mm -hmm. So I guess one thing I could have mentioned is a prayer, uh, singing. These can't prayer should be an element. Yes. You know, obviously. Uh, we we recognize that singing can be. I don't have a good singing voice. I've wanted my children to be. I've wanted my family to be musical, and we don't always. It depends how much time we have. Um, you know, some one question I have is how long should your family worship be? I never really answer that because sometimes it's short. I'm not even gonna tell you what short is, and then sometimes it's much longer. You know, sometimes there's very good discussions, mm -hmm. and it just seems to flow. And then you turn and look at the clock, and you can't believe how much time yep. has passed. And then other times there's something coming and you're like, hey, let's just, just we're going to have to wrap this up, but I want to make sure that we, we talk about this. So I never really give a time limit on that. And times uh, when we don't have as much time, we don't often have any singing. Um, my kids have been learning instruments, my son, guitar, my daughter, piano. She has her, some, you know, she brings the keyboard. My son will bring his guitar. Uh, we've borrowed a lot of the hymnals from the church uh, that we keep in our living room and we will you know, sing one or two hymns or three hymns times um, our worship or sometimes we just jump right into the bible well my kids were younger and nobody could read and they're just listening to me you know i'm reading and i'm kind of talking to them and i'm asking asking some questions they try to make it interactive if you're i mean sometimes we project our families on others i think as we project ourselves on others katie and i are very talkative social extroverted people and we're raising children that one of the big issues for us, and I'm, I'm not joking, in family worship is one wants to talk, one wants to share. All of my kids you know, are trying to answer or respond, and, and I'm having trouble keeping them on topic and saying, okay, like literally every Bible study beginning, and I'm saying, let's have self-control, let's be disciplined, let's learn to be learners. We don't always have to be the ones talking. And I guess I've kind of thought other families are like that, but then there's quieter introverted families and maybe the father is just trying to get the kids to talk it can look different for each family but I would regardless of what your family looks like I would say this try to have your children involved yeah. try to dig, see have their hearts revealed and with the, the questions that they ask be comfortable with with silence be comfortable with um feel a little awkward that waiting for them to have something to ask or to share so as our kids have gotten older, we have more kids who are reading, who have their Bibles. They get older and when they can read, we get them, get them their own Bible, probably like many families. Uh, they bring their Bible and then they can, those verses, our youngest, we're in the living room. There's a little tub of toys. Actually, our youngest uh, two are generally playing with toys. And sometimes I kind of wish there might be a video so people could see how loud or chaotic or it doesn't look like this nice, peaceful no church service or something, there can be times of uh, discipline or frustration when the kids aren't attentive, you know, asking kids to sit up, some some of the younger kids fall asleep, um, some of the kids are playing on the floor, but for the older kids, I do expect them to sit up, be attentive, have their Bibles open on their lap, don't play with the corners, uh, follow along, I tell them I should be able to ask you where we're at, you should know that. Uh, and it's not to say that that's always the case with them. And part of it is just that I was a school teacher and I think some of it flow, overflows um, from that. But there's an, I, I want to share those things, but I don't want anyone to think that they have to do it exactly like us because it's not prescribed 
Deuteronomy 6 is closest, it doesn't really drill down. It's interesting in the Old Te the precision of the Old Testament. I mean, I'm a black and white guy, so sometimes I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I feel like I was born under the wrong covenant. You know, I could have really enjoyed the enjoyed the precision of the Old Covenant. Not really. I love, love the liberty we have in Christ and the New Covenant. But anyway, interesting that in a covenant of such precision, there is so much latitude and flexibility associated with what family worship looks like. It basically, as you read Deuteronomy 6, looks like to make sure you talk about the word a lot with your family when they're lying down, when they're getting up, that you have it around your house, over the door, and that your children see verses around your house. All those other questions people have of how long, what it looks like, you know, where everyone sits, how much they talk, there's no discussion of that, which is why I don't think I should prescribe right. for other families that they should do the most important thing, which I think becomes very clear. Deuteronomy, and then in Ephesians 6, it's interesting, we're talking to homeschooling families. Schooling families, who does most of the teaching? The yeah. Um, Ephesians 6, it clearly puts on the shoulders of the father the responsibility or, or the training, the spiritual training of the children. There's just no way around it. I mean, I've had some people kind of buck against that. And I've, I've said, you know, I'll, I don't care if, you're, if your wife might teach all the math, science, reading, history, she can share God's word with the children. But there's no way around that the primary command for fathers in Ephesians 6 train up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so we can't, no matter how great of a job your wife might be doing, have a responsibility to do that. And I, and I think one other thing I just want to share, sometimes I'm concerned in these interviews or, or um, podcasts that people could think that we do it seven days a week or something like that. There's, there's weeks where two, two or three times is with that. And our, our lives, our schedules get busy. It's hard to have Things. And so, you know, some families who have got, who get up early, gather around the word of God, we know some families that do it late at night. I've heard some people say, if you do it late at night, people are tired. I'll say, if late at night is the best time for you to do it, then do it late at night, because that's better than not at all. If you get up first thing in the morning and everyone's tired, that might not be a, a good option for you. So I don't think the timing is most important. I think just doing it is the most important. And for our lives, because a pastor's schedule is never really seen. Sometimes morning, breakfast, sometimes if I walk home to live near the church, lunch, I grab a Bible, sometimes it's in the evening. And that's one other thing that I would say is, be with your family, as a father, or as a mother, grab a Bible, get over, open it. Even if your children are eating and they don't have Bibles, that's a form of family worship. If I'm having lunch with my family, things I don't do don't do right as a father I am going to try to bring a bible over and just have it there and the proverb of the day if you're like well you know I don't know what I'm going to do for day of the week that chapter of proverbs and you're almost always going to be able to get some good discussion asking your children what this what this proverb means so if you're together rather than television or something else with the family just bring the word of God over and and share it and ask your children what they think about, about different things. Well, and that's really the beauty of the teach them diligently lifestyle. The, as you walk, as you talk, this actually happens very naturally throughout the day. Um, so yeah, there are times when you are corporately coming together, but because your conversation throughout the day should be so focused on shepherding the hearts of your children and, and telling them the great things that God has done and teaching them as you walk, as you talk, 
those happen very naturally at the table. Um, I've joked a lot, the, the Lord just impressed on my heart when I was younger that when I would get the kids together for breakfast, and sometimes David was there a lot of times when they were younger, he had already left, but I would share with them what I had learned in my devotions. And that led to, that's all that their whole perspective was mom and daddy do devotions in the morning. So clearly that's what Christians do. They started that habit even before they could really do it. You know, so they're coloring, they're doing whatever, but they were having their time with God. Our breakfast times, because everybody wanted to share at by some point what they were learning in their devotions, our breakfast time started growing and growing and growing, which was glorious. Um, and that is a very, very profound form of family worship. And by the time David was home, that was, you know, and he was working from here, that was even better. Um, but the other offshoot of living this way and of focusing and, and having these constant conversations in this dialogue with your children is that's what they are used to talking about. So I have seen now that my kids are 22, 20, 18, 15, they are so comfortable talking about things of the Lord everywhere they go, whether they're in a supermarket or the mall or whether they're with their friends or at church, it doesn't matter. That is so ingrained in them, a comfort level of, of discussing what they're learning, of, of sharing things back and forth that they, the Lord has really used that in them. Um, and again, I look back and I'm so thankful for the way that God just gave us these ideas. He really just answered our prayers and kind of prompted us to do these things that we had no idea what he was going to do with them. Mm -hmm. But the times of family worship and of coming together and talking about God's word was such a huge part of making them now the young adults that they, they really have turned out to be. And I'm so very grateful. Um, the other thing I wanted to just kind of jump off of that you, you said is when you're, you noted not being afraid of questions and to answer questions, things you don't know the answer to, but also there are going to be times when you are having worship with your kids that they are going to ask questions that horrify you. I mean, just straight up heretical things. Um, but the, the reason for that is they're trying to figure out what they believe. They're trying to weigh all this stuff that they hear and, and they're confronted with. And, and so I would strongly encourage parents when your child asks a question that makes you gravely uncomfortable, I mean, you're going to pray about it. You're going to make sure they get the truth, but don't, don't um, go after that question as if they have committed the unpardonable sin, as if that is indicative that their hearts are so off base that they will never be right with the Lord. Because I find that so many parents react in that way. And that drives a wedge in your ability to shepherd their hearts through that. And so just recognize that your kids are going to ask you questions that are just not okay. <laughs> They're just difficult because they are so off base. But that is a phenomenal opportunity for you to lovingly point them to scripture and then help them build that foundation for their faith on God's word and not just on your initial knee jerk reaction, which, you know, is often not not the best or most clear way to, to approach it anyway. I, I think that's a great point, Leslie, because there are certain things to discipline or there are certain things to punish as parents. There are those immoral things, uh, then there are moral things to applaud, and then there are amoral things. And our children's questions as they're working through their faith are not things to criticize. So when your child says, oh, hard for me to believe that God would send people to hell, or I don't think that a bad response would be, God's word says this. Who are you to question God? Or why would you 
think you know better than him? Oh, you're saying you don't believe the Bible now? Oh, you, I mean, have a child that never asks another question. You're going to have a child whose heart you never get to see. Yeah. We never want to make our children feel foolish. I don't want to embarrass them in front of their siblings. There are times might need to be embarrassed if they're you know, misbehaving and you, and then that's for them to be embarrassed. They shouldn't be embarrassed by genuine questions that they ask. Here's an example. Prayer. I don't think parents should make their children pray. And I don't think that parents should criticize but when they don't pray, because then prayer is going to be viewed as a punishment. So we invite our children to pray. I, uh, my oldest son, because I'm training him to be a spiritual leader, because all of our, 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 he opens in prayer, I close in prayer. Any of the kids who want to pray can pray in between. Now, if I have a child who frequently doesn't pray, I'm going to privately talk to that child and just ask, say, I heard you pray a lot, or I've noticed you're, you're not really praying. I'm not going to finish the prayer time and say, you know, I can't, you haven't prayed for five nights. I mean, what's wrong with you? You don't love the Lord. I mean, you die for your sins and you need to care enough to pray. I mean, it's not, that's not the right approach. And so, but to privately engage that child and try to see what's going on in their heart. Um, and so when they ask those, those penetrating questions, even ones that reveal that they're having a hard time understanding or believing what God's word says, that's the time when you as a parent, because I don't know anyone who uh, uh, embraces every single I have my own struggles I tell my church this I can struggle with the doctrine of eternal punishment I absolutely believe in it struggle with it uh, if I didn't believe in it there wouldn't be any struggle and I'll tell my kids I say you know I can struggle with these things too I look at God's word and and I come away but I have to say you know true and righteous are your judgments like Abraham said will not the God of your what is right and just your ways and thoughts are above mine so it makes sense that there will be things understand but this is what it means to walk by faith this is what it means trust the lord it doesn't just mean going and being a missionary in a third world country looking at those things that don't make sense to us saying oh better than me lord and you are all wise you are all good and so i will trust you even when i agree or not not see things that way and so we should at least extend that same grace yeah. to our children when they're working through things Amen. Amen. Well, Scott, we are pretty much out of time. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you for sharing just your heart for family worship, the roles in family worship, what you've learned through family worship. It's been really, really instructional. I hope it's been a great encouragement and a help to those that have listened in. Where can everyone connect with you, um, find your books, that kind of thing, if they if they want to go deeper in this? Sure. So uh, my website, scottlapierre.org, that's kind of the hub. Everything goes out from there, but just um, Scott Lapierre, maybe you'll put my link in the show notes. My books are available on Amazon. You can find my Amazon page there with my books. And then I'd love to see what the Teach Them Diligently conferences. I'll be in Texas. I'll be, uh, I'll be at both the conferences this next year. And and I hope you'll come by my booth. I don't know uh, exactly all the details of all the workshops yet. I can't remember offhand, um, but I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing many people there if they come out for the conference. And yeah, if I can pray for you in any way, please feel free to reach out to me through my website. And, awesome. and Leslie, I just really appreciate all you and David are doing. You guys are light to so many families and, and the whole ministry revolves basically diligently is about family worship. So thanks so much for all you and David are doing. Well, you are welcome. It's a it's a joy and a privilege. So thank you again for joining us. Everyone out there, I'm so grateful that you listened in with us today. I hope that this has been a help. If you want more information, again, check out the show notes. I'm going to link to all of those things that Scott alluded to. 
We'll also put, I've got a family devotional guide that I'll put in there. If you want to pick that up, it'll kind of walk you through um, getting started on that. It's uh, it's kind of a weekly guide that you can go just one chapter at a time and some discussion questions just to get you started. And then you'll get your own rhythm and you won't need any helps anymore. So just check that out if you're interested. And otherwise, we look forward to seeing you at Teach Them Diligently this spring. Again, Scott will be there. So many others will be there. So make your plans to join us this This will be an investment in your family uh, that you will never regret making. So come and join us and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you for joining us today. We believe that every family is called to teach them diligently. So we're here to help. We would love to get to know you this year at one of our four live Teach Them Diligently events. And then throughout the year, when you become part of the Teach Them Diligently 365 community, check out the notes from today's show for more details about what we discussed today, as well as all of these other resources that Teach Them Diligently has to offer. Have a wonderful day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon.